Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 181, and we are entering part five of the Hero of Ages, chapters 59 through 64. Elliot, how are you? Doing great. We are approaching the, another end of a end of a book, which is always mixed mixed feelings. I'm I'm excited for the climax of our story. Still, I think I I think I might have put this in, in the live reactions. I feel like we have ninety percent of this puzzle solved. We've we've gotten a lot of pieces. We've gotten a lot of explanations. We've done a lot of things. And yet, I still don't feel like I have a clear idea of what the puzzle is we're trying to solve. We're still missing the face of the puzzle. Yeah. I feel like we have 90% of the pieces together, and I still can't tell you what the picture is on the, on the box. Because I still don't, still don't know, what do, how do we even defeat Ruin? How do we even, what do we got to do to win? We don't even know that. We're still, we're still in the fact-finding age of our hero's journey and we are running out of pages i believe there's 26 chapters in part five which compare that to i don't know the way of kings where there's six chapters <laughs> paul how are you i'm great i'm i'm so excited to finally be in part five of this book man this is a fun part and i mean I'm I'm just kind of just kind of savoring it, you know. This is this is the really fun part of such a wonderful book, the end of a good trilogy. So I'm just I'm just kind of content, happy, enjoying it. Sounds good. We have this episode, and then three more to finish the book, and then a wrap up episode. So four more episodes after this week and we will be done with the book then just as a brief recap for anyone reading along with us we will be immediately after finishing the hero of ages we will be doing the entire book of elantris in one episode we will be doing a a, a brief fly overview of elantris and yes we We've been reading Elantris alongside the Hero of Ages, so, you know, if we accidentally put Rayodin next to Ruin, I apologize. And then, after that, we will be going back to Mistborn for Secret History. I plan on doing Secret History in two episodes, though it might be three. And then, after Secret History, is then a Stormlight Current episode of the chapter that was read at Dragon Seal 2023, which I'm very excited about that episode. And then we will be entering Era 2 of Mistborn right after that. With all that said, today let's talk about the beginning of Part 5 of The Hero of Ages. All right, Elliot, can we get a brief summary of what has happened for today? Most certainly. 
We read chapters 59 through 64 to start off part five. Hensoon arrives at Wuko to find out that he did not get to the city where Vin is, but instead got to where Breeze and Sezed and Spook are. He talks to Sezed and agrees to take him to the Chondra, which is a, I think, a big deal. But it's a really big deal of trying to get that information that we're trying to get to solve. You know, what do we need to do to defeat Ruin? So let's see. Yeah, it continues on there. Meanwhile, Vin is on trial as he tries to determine what exactly happened with the Lord Ruler and what Vin's place in all of this is. Vin has more conversations with Ruin, and it continues on. And then all hell breaks loose as Marsh appears. Yes. And we, uh, things start to send into chaos as he, uh, as he attacks, doesn't he? He comes in and, and starts, uh, yeah, taking control of things. Yeah, more or less. And yeah, that's, uh, honestly kind of it. Way more to it, but that's the, the big picture. Yeah, the I, I feel like the spook sport. Well, the spook storyline is pretty much done. We, he has at the end of chapter sixty four. He has one key piece of information that someone tells him to pass on. Did you catch that, Elliot? Someone's still talking to Spook. At the end of chapter 64. That, did that happen? Did I miss something else again? So, Spook, you know, he's quite injured and laying in hospice. But at the beginning of chapter 64, there's a voice or unquoted dialogue, maybe in italics, that says, you have a key piece of information. Let it fly, I believe is the quote. And that's how the end of the chapter ends as well. The, the, same, the same phrase. Did you catch that? I recall that. I think I... This is going to be another one of those instances. I've done this before. In this, in a, where I, I read it and just assumed, oh yeah, Spook is just thinking to himself. That's... Rational spook speaking to irrational spook, trying to remind him, you need to do something with what you just learned. But I should have learned my lesson by now that <laughs> those kind of just palisized thoughts, uh, yeah, could easily be their influencer in, in spooks. But we thought we solved that problem, right? He took the spike out. Definitely thought we solved that problem. That was his epic hero moment is carving the spike out of himself. Is he does Spook wear any earrings? All any thoughts? No, I don't actually wear earrings. So <laughs> it's probably not great for me. To, I don't have much to chime in on that part. No, um I one thing I will say, and we probably could have talked about this a little bit in our last episode, but uh did not Spook has really been such a huge focal point of this book. It's, it feels almost like 
the effort that went into like Kelsier in, in previous books and like the first book or things has gone into spook. And honestly, the question I ask uh, that, that I think fairly often is why, why spook? Why him? And I think that's the point is number one, spook was ra- rather unassuming throughout the other books. Um, but I think my best guess there there may be a words of Brandon that Trevor knows by heart that um, answers this, but my thought is to spook taking out his spike. I feel it kind of shows that there is power over ruin, you know, ruin did not have like a full hold on spook. Like maybe he does over Marsh or the inquisitors. Right. But his goal is to spike all these people so that he has influence over them, right? I think that's his goal. And Spook, I feel like, is is an example that we're not destitute to, to lose to Ruin, you know? Um, it's kind of showing you don't have to be Kelsier to, to potentially, I feel like, triumph over Ruin. You don't have to be a deified character, which Spook does kind of become... I mean, he is that survivor of the flames. Like, he has a lot of that. But, I mean, Spook, I feel like to the reader, is still kind of understood to be like a a standard, standard character, if you will. That's not putting him down at all, but just to show that we, we, we see a lot of his weakness. We see a lot of him just as a normal kind of guy. A normal kind of poor kid who grew up, you know. Like, you know, nothing super crazy about him like vin has this crazy power right we know she's special spook we don't know him to be special you know i think so yeah so i'm uh proud to say that i am kind of catching on to that in this read through but i'm gonna knock myself down here and say that uh my first read through i didn't really put two and two together that spook got the power to burn pewter from the spike. Right. I, I didn't really put that together. I actually was kind of deceived. I kind of th- I thought this actually was Kelsier appearing at a point. Um, and that's how he actually got the power to burn pewter. And I totally missed the, that he lo- loses that whenever right. he takes out a spike. Totally missed that. So, um, yeah, that um, I didn't get that until this, like, a little while ago, reading this. So so I found the quote that I was referring to. By the way, 64 is only like two pages. Um, chapter 64 is in, begins in quotes. And that's why you absolutely must get the message sent, Spook. The pieces of this thing are all spinning about, cast to the wind, you have a clue that nobody else does. Send it flying for me. And then, later in the chapter, in italics, it says, send it flying, dot, dot, dot. Spook, you must get that message sent. Spook, dot, 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 in italics. All any thoughts? Now who's talking to him? Um... That is a good question. Um, 
Maybe it's the cognitive shadow of clubs. Okay. Clubs invest... Well, I guess he's a... Yeah, feasible, I suppose. Thank you. Thank you. Elliot, any thoughts? I am almost getting a... Like an in-between worlds kind of vibe from this chapter of Spook is just coming back to the physical realm. Ooh, yeah. You know, consciousness or, or whatever. And you're you're right. As I'm looking at more, it's more than just a thought in his head italics. It's it's dialogue to open up the, the chapter. Dialogue that's unattributed to any particular person. The only other person here in the scene that kind of starts off with is but it's not Breeze that's saying this, I don't think. I I don't know. How did we get to chapter 64? We started with 59 through 64. How are we talking about? (laughs) And that's all, folks. We finished all of our chapters, so tune in next week. (laughs) I I was just looking back at the outline, and I was like, wait, we skipped to the very last point. Anyway. I, I have a question. Well, that that's kind of how I felt last week when I jumped right in with preservation. Um, question. I, I'm curious to know what, what both of y'all think about Yeoman. Uh-huh. Yeoman is kind of a big player here, and just, I don't, I don't know. I was just a little surprised that Yeoman would still be around and kicking it in the fashion he is. So I'm just curious to know what y'all think about him altogether, and then and then kind of the narrative of the story of him and Ven and Ruin and just everything going on there. But first, I'm curious to know what y'all think just about Yeoman, the character, I guess. Through a lot of this, Yeoman feels like a small player in a big world. When we, when we arrive at the city, the whole time I'm just thinking, Yeoman, get out of the way, bro. We're trying to save the world. <laughs> Stop. It's fine. Let it let us in. We're just trying to save the world. We're trying to save you and the rest of the world. And so throughout all this, it's like, who who are you, minor statesmen, to try and insert yourself into the Lord Rulers and the Vins and the Ellens and the ruins of the of the world? Which crazy to say something like that, right? When you think about where Vin has come through, the fact yeah, that yeah. Vin is in that that conversation. Anyway. So all, all that said, he is definitely an opportunist. He had an opportunity, and he took it. He took control. He's extremely religiously motivated. Religion is making center stage yet again in one of Brandon's stories like this, where Yeoman is trying to figure out where Vin fits in his religion. He's insistent that the Lord Ruler can't be dead because the Lord Ruler is God for him. But Vin tries to kind of pull the card of, well, hang on, maybe I took out the Lord Ruler and now I'm God and you should, you know, join me kind of thing. And Yeoman, you know, struggles with that. He wants to, has to reconcile, well, hang on a second, who are you in my religion? As he tries to figure that out. So clearly, clearly a, a man of the church, I guess you might even say. And then yet there's the... There's the drop that he's apparently a misting. He's apparently a Axiom misting. Yeah. Not a misborn, which we thought wasn't possible. But 
doesn't shock me at all because we've had at least a dozen. That's not possible in Alamancy. Wait, yeah, it is. Moments. So that doesn't surprise me at all. So what was my take on Yeoman? Yeah. I don't know. Get out of the way, bro. We're just trying to save the world. Continuing a conversation from last week, Elliot, is that a good misdirection? That the information we had from book one is just unreliable and lies spread among the nobility that you can't have an ATM noble or an, an ATM misting. Y- yes. I, I think it's a, it's a good misdirection because it fits within the plot that we've been going through. Like the Lord ruler intentionally spread misinformation. Right. About lots of things. Right. Control, what everyone was doing. Ruin intentionally spreads misinformation about trying to get people to do what they're doing. So the fact that our characters would teach Alamancy incorrectly makes perfect sense in the context of this story. Yeah. What do I think of Yeoman? Um, I didn't remember Yeoman as a character at all um, going into this book. So meeting him, I was like, okay, yeah, I vaguely remember somebody in charge of Fadrex. And then he just keeps showing up after scene after scene. Like you, a character like this, you kind of expect, you know, Vin and Ellen to deal with them, you know, get on with ruin and finding the ATM and what we're really here for. But no, he just doesn't go away. He's just kind of here. And I kind of like that where there's a lot of big implications going on. Like ruin is in the room with yeoman and he's got no idea he has no idea what he's in the middle of zero and i i like that as a concept for a book that while the stakes are so high you still have maybe not even greedy maybe just opportunist like you said statesman trying to take advantage of the situation he's in so he has a city and he's taking whichever steps he can take to protect his city. So I, I like that concept. Um, I don't have very many strong feelings about Yeoman. I enjoy that Ellen sat down with him and saw the humanity in him and showed the reader the humanity of him because it really shows us that Yeoman's not the bad guy here. Like Yeoman may be threatening Vin's life and he might be worshiping the Lord ruler, but Brandon Sanderson established to us. He's really not all that different from Ellen when they're sitting there talking about politics and um, state theory. Both of them are 95% aligned. They just have this one very key piece of information that's different, which alters their entire worldview which I also like in a character. I like what you said about um, you kind of expect Yeoman to be that character that Vin or Eleanor runs into and then gets past really quick and then moves on to ruin or bigger things. And it is really interesting why he's here. And I was kind of asking that question a lot of why, why is Yeoman here? But I I think what you said it makes makes a really good point and it kind of adds up a lot better and it is very ominous to like have him in the room with Vin and Ruin but he doesn't realize it right 
It's it's really suspenseful. I think if this scene was adapted like on screen too, I think this would be a really really good scene. You know, it'd be very suspenseful. I think Yeoman is the he gives you perspective. He's the he's the banana for scale. You, you <laughs> wouldn't get. You like that analogy? <laughs> That's wonderful. What, yeah. <laughs> sentences I never thought I'd hear. One oh one. Yeoman is the banana for scale. But he is. Think about it. Like you wouldn't appreciate the the scale of it all, this battle between Vin and Ruin at the cosmic level as much if you didn't have Yeoman there in the room kind of quibbling about well, but society and religion and all these things, it's he he because he's there, you appreciate the scale of it better. Yeah, I agree. I just was not expecting that uh those words. The ATM. Why are we still after the ATM, Elliot? So this this is what I'm talking about with my, my intro and, and all this. Why are we after the ATM? I don't know. Still don't know. We've we, we discover he doesn't Yeoman doesn't have it, which apparently shocks Ruin. Mm. Like really shocks Ruin. Yeah. Which confuses me. But like, yeah, what why do we need the ruin or the ATM? I, I still don't understand it. I, I think we've been given the information that maybe I'm jumping to a bit of conclusions, but through the epigraphs, I think I've been able to put together that. Preservation knew he couldn't stop ruin. So preservation gave to humans the ability, abilities, magic, to fight against ruin in the hopes that humans could do the impossible that preservation can't. Go a step further, what did preservation give them? His body in the metals, I guess, that he's given. Okay, yeah. And so... It's, it's like, okay, we're talking about metals. We're talking about what they can do. We're talking about the power we're giving to humanity. ATM is one of those metals. Is Are we getting metaphorical with all this and Ruin is trying to track down Preservation's body in the ATM? In ATM? There's okay. a reveal in this chapter. There's a reveal in this discussion. They pull out some maps. Vin and and. Yeomen are like, oh, wait a second, let's map this out. And they realize that the, the caches that the Lord Ruler has left are all near major metal deposits in the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's dropped as if it's supposed to be this huge reveal. Right. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm just over here like, okay. <laughs> is, is, is that supposed to tie to this whole metal is preservation's Body, what? Why does Ruin need access to it? Why? Why does Ruin not already know where the ATM is? Where, where is it? We've been hunting for the ATM since book one, since early in book one. Yeah. And now we've been everywhere. We've unlocked all the caches. Where is this stuff? Why do we even care? So, the the big reveal to me is that apparently Ruin cares a lot. Like. That was a big yeah. revelation for Vin was yep. I'm leading Ruin to all of these caches. By by right. going to find them, I'm I'm showing him where they are. And the fact that the ATM is 
not in Cash 5 is a is a big deal for Vin, but she doesn't really know why. She she's got this feeling that she needs to find it, but it's been established that we don't actually need it. It's established in this chapter of Yeoman saying, Why why is the ATM important? It, there's no Alamancers to burn it anymore. Like I just have a little bit that I've saved personally, but that's it. Um so Vin is trying to find it, but then when it's not in Cash 5, Ruin like freaks out for like a split second and then re- recomposes himself. That was the big reveal of the episode to me that Ruin, for whatever reason, is just distraught or like in big trouble that the ATM isn't here. Like, I, there's a, like you said, a big puzzle piece mis- missing. And I don't really know. I don't, I couldn't guess what it is. The other clue that we have that I'm trying to, we have puzzle piece one. We also have puzzle piece two, and I'm trying to fit them together. Puzzle piece two is preservation communicating with Ellen. Mm. Preservation shows up and flails his arms widely, trying to tell Ellen, do this, don't do that. You, okay, yeah. I'll pause real quick. You know what I think of, of when I think of that scene? I think of those like inflatable air guys outside the car dealership oh. <laughs> where they go. <laughs> Like, you know, flail our arms around and anyway, moving on. Accurate. He seems to be saying don't go to Fadrix. Yes. So is that the simple message is reservation thought the ATM was there and was trying to say, Ellen, don't go there. Don't unlock that. I need that ATM to stay locked up kind of thing. So maybe preservation would be just as shocked to learn. ATM is not there also, and that was the whole message. Again, I'm I'm trying to put two puzzle pieces together. I'm not sure they fit. I think it's kind of interesting that I feel like this whole ATM stash in my brain that's such a first book problem. You know? Yeah. Yes. Like like that was that was the dilemma in the first book was oh my gosh, the Lord Ruler has this ATM stash and whoever finds it is you know, rich. You gotta have all the power, all the financial power, all the fighting power. You know, there's so much with it. And then now I feel like I've kind of moved past that. And I'm a little surprised that that it's the thing. And like, it's the thing in this case. Like, what's going on? What they're looking for? What they're the mystery at hand? Excuse me. Sorry. Um, and it makes me wonder. Like the big yeah, you said it, Trevor. Like the big question is why does why does Ruin want the ATM? Like why why is he actually surprised or disappointed or upset whenever they don't find it? You know, like what what is he actually going to use this for? Is I assume so. Actually, I think these my further thoughts are for Stormlight spoiler stuff later, so I will hold off. And the epigraph pushes this further and says Ruin didn't send his inquisitors to Fadrex until Yeoman had confirmed the ATM was there or something. And that's when Marsh shows up. So I don't know. Like, wh- does, the, does the epigraph say inquisitor or inquisitors? Do we have multiple inquisitors that just showed up and only Marsh showed, Marsh showed his face? 
I took it as he never sent the Inquisitors until he learned. When he did, he sent one. Yeah. Anyway, I think we mentioned this at one point. You can make new Inquisitors, so I'm not going to completely fall out of my seat if a whole army of Inquisitors shows up at some point. I mean, it's been well established that the Inquisitors have been conspicuously missing ever since the end of Book One. So where have they been? Yeah. You can make new Kolos. You can make new Inquisitors. Kolos show up randomly in the thousands. I'm going to be terrified if Inquisitors start showing up in the thousands. It's going to be like that scene from The Matrix where Neo's trying to fight the army and just of, of like agents and they just like keep duplicating and replicating and just like piling in on him. Yeah, you've seen that ma- the movie? Yes. It's like the third Matrix movie. I've seen all of them once. I've seen the first one more than that. Sazed? Sazed. We are we are making strides with Sazed. Going into this book, I talked about Sazed is who I was most curious about. And he, here we go. He's He's been going through his religions. He's one by one methodically examining all of all the religions known to man. And he gets down to the bottom of the pile. He gets to his last one, turns it over and says, nope, every single one of those has flaws in it. And is trying to battle with that. He, I'll read you a quote. Let's open to my quote. Okay. There's a, there's a scene that I thought was really kind of summed it up well. And Sazed, Sazed quotes himself from book one. Imagine in his own head. He's he's wrestling with all this in his head, and he quotes himself. What does he say? Oh, ten ten soon has just arrived on the scene in in dog form, and Sazed's kind of trying to wrestle with all this at the at the same time. Let's see. We'll get up. How could anyone understand? We're just in Sazed's head. How could anyone understand the pain of a faith he had believed? Yet, when he had needed hope the most, he had found He picked up the book, then snapped close his portfolio, locking the inadequate summaries within. He turned towards the hearth, better to burn it all. Belief. He remembered a voice from the past, his own voice, speaking to Vin on that terrible day after Kelsier's death. Belief isn't simply a thing for fair times and bright days, I think. What is belief? What is faith? We don't continue in it after failure. And he goes, he continues to, to muse and, and struggle on that. Caught my eye because that's one of the quotes that I highlighted coming out of book one as, man, I love that. I love that concept of faith, true faith perseveres through the difficulties. Even when you're challenged, that the definition of faith is you keep going, that belief. And we, I at least, lauded Sazed for that strong faith. How far Sazed has come since then. He's completely broken, completely without faith, such that he has to remember back to his own words to a very young and innocent Vin to try and encourage himself. And it doesn't even like work. He doesn't even 
that scene goes on and he doesn't even convince himself he should have faith. It's a, it was a stop and think moment. I just stop and think. But then through Ten Soon, he realizes there's one more religion that he hasn't checked. And it's the terrorist religion. He, I'm trying to remember the exact way this is revealed out. Tensoon refers to Sazed as the announcer. The announcer. And that sparks in Sazed's memory, that was one of the words that Ruin changed. In the engraving, the announcer is mentioned. And instead, Ruin changed it to the witness or the, the holy first witness or something, which is what the Ska call him. And so then Ruin changes it to match the prophecy. And so the prophecy is fulfilled. But Tensoon calls him the announcer. And that makes him think, hold on, there's only one way that you could have known that term. And that is to study the same things of the person who made the carving, the engraving, who was Terrace. So you have Terrace religion um, heritage, basically, is, is what he comes to the conclusion of. And Tensoon's like, yes, Captain Obvious, you should have figured this out a book ago, but you didn't. The original Chandra are Rashik's friends who Rashik strips their power from them and gives them immortality in the form of Chandra. Which I don't know who could have predicted that, but, you know, um, he Rashik realizes that if he can be a ferrochemist and an allomancer at the same time, anyone who's a ferrochemist and gets one of these beads at the Well of Ascension can be me. So I need to strip ferrochemy out of everybody except for myself so all the all of his ferrochemist friends instead of just killing them he says okay i'm going to take your ferrochemy but i'll give you immortality in the form of being a chondra and they're like okay so that's how the chondra show up i guess and so all of that to say sazed is now on the way to the chondra homeland to talk to the first generation about their old religion where was that on your bingo card? <laughs> not, not only where was it on the bingo card, but where is this going? Is yeah. it still, okay, maybe that helps Sazed solve his dilemma that he's in. Is that really going to uncover some kind of secret that helps us? Yeah. It seems like our only, our only friend at this well, point, our only hope. And by by this logic... Says it's not going to be in anywhere near Vin and Elland for the final act of this book. He's got to go figure out, he's got to go to the Condor homeland and figure out something by the end of the book. And we still have to fight ruin or whatever's going to happen. So I guess says it's off to start a new adventure. <laughs> off into it is, era two. It does almost feel like this should have been like a part three. Yeah realization you know it feels like this should have been something that happened earlier and we get to kind of wait to see how it really culminates 
it does feel a little odd in the pacing here to like Vin is like near death and in the face of ruin and says it's like hmm there is another religion so, <laughs> you know and so and, and and then takes off it it feels like a little bit of skewed like importance between the two but i mean if there's anything i've known from previous Sanderson books is that things usually tie together pretty well if not necessarily together in the same room like there's good stuff going on so thoughts doing in my mind since the last episode and some things that you pointed out Trevor coming up here I, I did realize just now it does set up AZ to be underground Ooh, at a potentially key moment interesting you pointed out the the hints the direction that Tensoon was giving the they make sure you're underground when the mists I think is what it said mm-hmm. pointing out that I missed ah missed nah. the uh, if Sazed goes the wind we know that's underground so maybe this is gonna by accident save him from whatever catastrophe is gonna happen. And soon is extremely vaguely hinting at. That's something. Just as a side note, when a character in a story, when a character knows, and just like vaguely gives hints to the other characters, just just tell them. Like <laughs> that's just a personal pet peeve of mine. Just if they're in mortal danger, don't give them vague hints on how to avoid it. Just tell them what you know. <laughs> but anyway. Anything else before we get to a Stormlight spoiler? Paul, I think you had something about us in the Stormlight spoiler. I absolutely do. All right. Stormlight spoiler, go now. What was I talking about at that point? Hold on. I don't remember either. Oh, 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 oh. I think I remember. Okay. So... We were wondering about the ATM. We were wondering why the ATM. Okay. You know, what, what, like, like, you know, obviously we understand on this world, ATM is still the most valuable thing. They keep saying, oh, it has no value if you have no one to burn it and no one to buy it and stuff like that. It's worthless, you know. But ATM is still pretty important. And <clears throat> my understanding is, so I don't know exactly how this works, and this is why I want to ask you all this a little bit. It's part partly a question. So on Roshar, investiture is Stormlight, and it's kind of everywhere, especially when the high storms come. Um, here, investiture's kind of tied to the metals. I, it's still a bit unclear to me on where the investiture comes from and what is investiture on schedule, because... You can't burn certain, you can't just pick up a bar of, like, you can't just pick up uh, a sheet of metal off the ground and burn it, you know. Like, it has to be a specific, like, alimentic grade metal, you know. It has to be, like, procured professionally to, to be usable. Um, But ATM seems to be, like, the raw metal that is alimantic. I don't my understanding I could be wrong, but I don't 
think there's anyone who's like editing it or you know messing with it to make it pure or burnable they just pull it it's just hazardous to mine they they have the the guys in the pits pulling it out and that's where it comes from you know so is atm like the ultimate place of investiture on Scadrial? is that why ruin wants it is I, I don't know if the other metals have more or less or how that works but that's my thought of why a shard maybe after this if it may be a bigger relation of atm to investiture than the other metals are which also made me think of the ghost bloods but i don't really have a direct connection there so I feel like that's debatably not Stormlight spoiler, but my 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 thoughts were that it that it was so. So I guess the big question for me is: Is there what what are the pits of hats in? Are the pits of hats in a perpendicularity? We haven't really discussed that term besides the Well of Ascension. Um, and I'm not even sure if that term exists yet in publication order. Um, but maybe it does. But is is there like an underground lake under the pits of Hathsin or something? Or yeah, what? Why is ATM just you pluck it out of the ground in the pits of Hathsin, and that's pure investiture, pure alamancy, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I struggle you too. You mentioned you mentioned ghost bloods. That we we know the ghost bloods are trying to get readily transportable investiture, and they seem to think stormlight is free. Mm, yeah. Through this whole time, even before, as soon as I learned that was the magic system on Scadrial, immediately kind of questioning. Metal is rather transportable. If if the metal is investiture, why do the ghost bloods not just have a massive mining operation on Scadrial and just transport metals off of Scadrial around the world and around the atmosphere and boom, there's your transportable powers. So it, it seems to me there's gonna be more to it than sorry. <laughs> Sorry, don't don't mind me. Um, the uh, I don't know if this reinforces your question or what, but do you remember in Oathbringer when Azure? Actually, it's Hoyd. Hoyd gives Azure off-screen these massive, like silver or aluminum plates, and she. Puts them in the room in the wall for her soul casters to be shielded from the fused. Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yeah. It's like a very odd detail, but it's there. Um, Azure knows about. I always mix them up. It's either aluminum or silver. Off world work, right? That they're the anti investiture metal. So why don't investiture metals? work 
off Scatrill would be the question because I would assume I would assume that they don't work off Scatrill, and that's why the Ghostbloods are after Stormlight. Did you go? Do you guys know that the Ghostbloods are from Scatrill? Have I told you that? Did you know that? Feels like news. Well, I mean, we we could guess at that with the recent revelation we have that Kelsier is. Zydekar. Zydekar. Yeah. So that there's a link to schedule right there. Yeah. The the Ghostbloods originate from Scadrial, and I mean, you'll probably learn that next episode, I think, or you will have the information by the end of the book that you could figure that out. Um, it, it's not like a major plot point of the Hero of Ages, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll mildly spoil this for you. Do you remember when we're meeting the Ghost Bloods in Words of Radiance? The the weird mask lady, like she's Yatil is her name. Um, who's in the war camps? She talks to Shalon a oh. bunch, and she's like, "What's this?" Marais is like contact in Rosh or on Roshar. You remember her? Yep. Yep. There's some telling signs that she's from Scadrill. Um, she's described as if you've read Mistborn Era One, you will recognize her as from Scadrill. Uh, actually, it's yeah. Anyway, it it's the Era Two as well. But anyway, um, the Ghostbloods are originating from Scadrill, so they know about metals certainly. So I would assume that metals are not useful off of Scadrill, and then just the question is why? Yeah, that's my question. Anything else? I don't think so. Alrighty. Stormlight Refresher, gentlemen. We are into... We are still 4 to 1. I think we've installed it 4 to 1 for 3 weeks now. Um... Elliot will lead this week. Here comes your chapter name. Are you ready? Ready as I'm going to be for these ones. A single casualty. A single casualty. Sing- single casualty. This feels more like one of those metaphorical chapter titles that's not literally about battle with a single casualty. I think it's so funny when you guys like way overanalyzed these uh so it, it's about art so then it's definitely not about shallan because that's a misdirect so yeah anyway it's like elliot talking about how uh, talking about when was brendan sanderson's son a teenager yeah. <laughs> okay it must be more recent like <laughs> that level of metagaming yeah Oof. hi i am not sure about this I'm gonna go. This is this is Wave Kings. This is Bridge Run. There's a bridge run going on. I don't remember exactly what happens, but it's like Kaladin beating himself up because he lost somebody. Maybe he didn't even lose anybody. And his mental state is the casualty. Yeah. Something like that. Incorrect. One 
one of these days, the trivia question is going to be who is the first named bridge member to die on a bridge run. So be prepared. Go ahead, Paul. I think I actually have a good guess on this one. I will, I say that, and then I'm sure it'll be wrong. But I think this is the chapter where Dalinar and Teravangian are talking with each other. I think in like Oathbringer, where it's like the big ethics conversation that they have of like if do you, I don't remember exactly. It's like do do you kill all the prisoners to, to get rid of the one bad guy or do you not kill any of them or what how do you enact justice and stuff if one person did wrong and you have several people at stake you know and so that that's my prediction it's that chapter incorrect okay class that was had, so good i'm uh, once again proud of my guess at least <laughs> you should be that was a good one <clears throat> I had high hopes for you when you started with the word Dalinar, because my answer starts okay. with the word Dalinar. Honorably discharging Kaladin from the Windrunners at the beginning of A Rhythm of War. He has not mm. lost a single Windrunner in their excursion to save Hearthstone, and they return to the tower, and Dalinar confronts him about freezing up in battle again, and discharges him him from the Windrunners, and uh, old emotional Kaladin says, I am the single casualty of today. One of my favorite scenes of like the whole series, by the way. That scene is so good. I've, I know I've ranted about that scene before on this podcast, but incredible scene. All right, uh, Paul, your quote ID, sir. I need... To get my men ready, you know something is coming. Those countdowns on the wall. Have you seen more of those red spread? Those countdowns on the wall. Have you seen more of those red spread? This is so, this feels so familiar. So, okay. I think this is in one of Dalinar's visions. Okay. Maybe like begin, I think beginning of Oathbringer. Sort of beginning of Oathbringer. But who specifically is saying this? The fact that it's in one of those, that I think it's in one of those visions is what's throwing me off. Okay, can do you mind reading it for me one more time? I know I ask every single week, but one more time. I need to get my men ready. You know something is coming. Those countdowns on the walls. Have you seen more of those red spren? I, I, I'm just going to go that with that this is Dalinar. In my head, he's talking to Yasna. I don't know if that's right. I think he may be talking to someone in a vision, but that's what I'm going to go with. Incorrect. Elliot. So Countdown's on the Wall is Renarin scratching the countdown, right? Mm-hmm. We find out later. Got to be. This is Red Sprint. I vaguely remember that. It sounds like something Kaladin would say, but I don't know. That doesn't quite feel right. It's got to be Words of Radiance. 
get my men ready. It's not Alucard. Uh, it's uh, I, I think it's I think it's Galadin. Correct. It is Kaladin talking to Syl. Kaladin is the new leader of Dalinar's personal guard and freaking out about the countdowns that are showing up during the visions. And he's asking Syl, I've seen more of those red spren. The storm spren are being summoned to the Shattered Plains in preparation for the Everstorm. All right, one zero to Elliot. Elliot, here is your review. This book has serious pacing and structure issues. Long parts of it drag, as this is exacerbated by there being too many point of views. Those point of views switching too frequently. A lot of the impact of the ending was drained by this disjointed point of view swapping, which is a pity as those events are momentous. Kind of looks like he's Googling. It does look like he's Googling again. <laughs> he probably lost I'd audio. Like to, I'd like to call a review. <laughs> review on the play. A video assisted referee. Yeah, exactly. And he's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's funny because we could watch him have the moments of yes, um, of I don't know, weary, and he's back. We I don't know what happened there. We watched you that whole time. You never dropped. <laughs> what? Yeah, you guys were completely gone. My internet was fine, but I was getting no sound or audio from you. Yeah. We could we could see you like clicking around on your computer and like looking yeah. around and we were like, is he just Googling this? Like yeah. I read out <laughs> I read out the review and we were accusing you of Googling again. <laughs> I I completely lost you guys' video and audio. You you froze as if I lost internet, but I didn't lose internet. It Okay. I got none of that. Let's try that again. Elliot, here comes your review. This book has serious pacing and structure issues. Long parts of it drag, and this is exacerbated by there being too many point of views and those point of views switching too frequently. A lot of the impact of the ending was drained by this disjointed point of view swapping, which is a pity as those events are momentous. This is... Oathbringer, which I think doesn't struggle with that problem as much as other books. Like, Wisdom of War has a lot of views in it. Oathbringer, though, especially like leading into the, the Sanderlanch, I think starts to jump a bunch, but which adds to the epicness of it. But this person struggled with it. Oathbringer. This is Oathbringer. Sounds like middle of the road review. It seems too obvious. But apparently I overthink things, so Oathbringer 3 out of 5. Well, my initial guess is definitely um, Rhythm of War on this with a lot of point of views, a lot of swapping around. 
everything. So I'm going to stick with that. I really questioned that for a long time. As is probably healthy and unhealthy to overthink it this much. Of like, oh, well, maybe it's just the second book or whatever, and they just weren't far along, you know. It's all about perspective. Um, I'm going to go with the fourth book, Rhythm of War. And this, I feel like this is actually the hard part. I always, I always misjudge this. Unless they, like, obviously hate it and it's a one star. This, they liked the event. They said it was a momentous moment. So they at least liked and sort of appreciated the story and what happened at the end. But they were just turned off by the perspective shifts and everything. It's either a two or a three. I'm going to go ahead and just go with a three, three out of five. That's my that's my genuine belief. That is also what Elliot said, but that's my genuine belief. Man, I through these through these stormlight refreshers, I have realized that I am a big proponent of rooting for the underdog because every time I watch Paul go through and agonize through his answers, I'm rooting for him. I just I just want him to get it. And he got it. It is a three out of five for rhythm of war. So, Elliot, you got one point. Paul, you got two points. So we are two to two off that review. (laughs) And then this goes to Paul for the trivia. Night Radiant. That's my answer. (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay. It's always down to this last one, and this one always fails me. I believe that. I believe. Who are... The first two bridgemen to assist Kaladin in his efforts to lead and train Bridge Four. Okay. The first two bridgemen to assist and help Kaladin lead and train the train the bridgemen. Okay. Has to be Teft. Okay. I'm talking through this. This is not my I I, I know I think I know what my answer is. But I'm going to talk through this a little bit. So part of me really wants to say Rock. But Rock specifically wasn't training. He didn't want anything to do with combat. He was a cook. Um, So that leaves my brain with Sigzel. Or maybe Moash. Early on, maybe Moash. I'm thinking Moash hasn't entered the frame yet. So I'm going to go with Teft and Stigzel, final answer. Okay. Incorrect. Elliot. That that was going to be my answer, too. As as I'm logicking through it while you're also talking, Paul, that's the same conclusion I got to. Surely Teft. Surely you're half right and half wrong. It's got a Teft. It would have said Sigzel. You just got the buzzer on that one. I Moash is the other one I'm thinking in my mind too. I agree with you. It's not Rock. There's a bunch of. I don't even remember all their names too. There's, there are a lot of like letters. early bridge, early bridge like men. Scar is another one of them. Lopin's part of this, right? Mm-hmm. Now he comes later though, doesn't he? Well, yeah. 
Maybe Lopin shows up later. Yeah, he definitely isn't part of like wow. the OG crew. I it Taft and Moash. I mean, I can guess elsewhere, but that seems like the most likely. Okay, so I'm in a bit of a pickle here because. <laughs> all right, I'm I'm going to explain what I'm about to do here. I am going to give the point to Paul because he got it half right in Teft. Teft is Teft is correct and you both got the same half point. So because Paul answered first, I'm going to give him that point as if that was the correct answer and Elliot wouldn't have gotten the chance to answer. The correct answer and maybe I worded the question poorly, is Teft and Rock. Because Rock is... And and both and the reason why I'm doing this is I'm kind of just discounting Rock as an answer because both of you disqualified Rock because of how I framed the question. Rock and Teft are the first two to help Kaladin with, like, the meals and the, the knobweed sap and gathering like the equipment to help bridge forward that's what i was going for and both of you discounted rock up off the word train like rock is not a, a fighter train. right yeah and that's why both of you discounted that and that's that's fair i understand that so i'm gonna give the point to paul because he said teft first and it was his week to go first so i'm gonna say that was correct and Paul wins this week. In the comments, if I was unfair, you can uh, yell at me. Or, Elliot, you can yell at me too, if that's unfair. Not the way you, way you land up, he, he takes the point, or the half point, and yeah, it, before I could even get the chance to take it. So, right. makes sense to me. I will take what I can get, and just know that this is the smart... Uh, sorry, the start of a small... I'm smart and this is the start of Yes. Smart Paul. This is the start of a small snowball. <laughs> With you know Okay, I didn't realize what you were trying to say, but I completely agree with you. That is very hard to say. That oh my goodness. This is the start of a small snowball. Which will transcend into a massive lead, which I have by the time it's going to be will just be, you know, 20 to 4. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Off of a technicality. Yeah. Okay. 4 to 2. Moving to next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. <laughs> See you later. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> See y'all next week.